So do you just have veto power over every time I try to start the show and it's not up to your standards? I do. It's mm. like my uh, my plan for Jeopardy. <laughs> Which is what? Like if I ever get on Jeopardy and I start losing really badly, I'm just going to start saying a bunch of like horrible things or like start start swearing where they can't air the show so nobody can see my failure. Interesting. It's a foolproof plan. That's a bold strategy. Yeah, it goes along with my uh, that nightmare I had before. Nightmare? I think I posted about this on Twitter or something. It's where I have like this recurring dream where uh, I'm on Jeopardy and then Alex, when he's doing the little interviews, he says, are you sure you're not looking for the Wheel of Fortune studio? And is that that's a recurring nightmare you have? I've had it a couple of times, honestly. Anyway. But it's terrifying. Like I said, like, no, you're more of a Wheel of Fortune contestant. Get out of my studio. Interesting. Oh, man. Alex Trebek is the coolest. I'm not I'm not a big Jeopardy fan. I'm not really like a big game show fan. Well, Jeopardy is not your uh, like traditional game show. What, what um, Have you ever made like a concerted effort to watch it? I did. Yeah, I guess growing up, my parents were kind of into it because it was um, like Jeopardy and then Wheel of Fortune, like back to back. Right. But the thing is, it depends on <laughs> what type of American you are as to which show you'll you'll tune in for. <laughs> so, so, certain Americans will, will start their evening at 730. Um, others will start it at seven. Anyway, I would recommend recording, uh, just putting a season pass on it and just watching a couple episodes. It's It's nice and fun. And honestly, without commercials, it's like 15 minutes long. You know, I I always remember the few times I did watch it, it making me just feel really dumb. It's I don't I think ne- like now that you've like that you've grown like you've lived the past twenty years or so, like you have a lot of pop culture knowledge and stuff that you might not have had as a kid, and also you have like just everything you studied in school. So I think you know a lot more than you think. Watching it as a kid is probably very frustrating. You might be giving me too much credit. No, seriously, like a lot of it is just like pop culture based. There's a lot of um, like business and economic topics and things like that. The only thing I always like in school, I just never learned like the um, the Greek mythology at all. And that comes up all the time. And I'm just no good at that. Yeah, I went, you know, so one of the very like trendy things uh, here in San Francisco is uh, trivia. You heard about this? Like bars will do. Quiz. Yeah, uh, bars yes. will do this trivia night thing. So I went to one of these a couple of weeks ago, and I, I literally of the, I think it was, you know, four or five rounds with, we'll say, 10 questions apiece. I think I literally knew the answer to like three questions. And one of them was about the Giants. Oh. And then one of them was about Sugar Ray, which is like <laughs> the only band I'm knowledgeable of. And, and I don't really remember what the other one was, but I, I just, I felt so completely I'm, I'm worthless. giving you the option to restart the show, just so. <laughs> just so that we can well i mean you know through the magic of editing i could always just cut this out i think you're proud of the sugar ray thing so i actually am proud I, the, I don't who, shy away from you know my my love of sugar ray were they what was what songs did they make were they the how's it's how's it gonna be people or is that somebody else the i'm sorry the what there's a song called how it's gonna be or uh, something like that hmm uh, doesn't ring a bell their big song, their very popular song was uh, Oh, Fly. that's Third Eye Blind. Okay. Same thing. Hmm. I can, t- I can tell kind of a funny story about myself, if you'd like. Go for it. So, in uh, fourth grade, we had a... I'm already laughing. Uh, it was, this was a lip-syncing contest. 
And so what is all the, all the fourth and fifth graders got to participate in this, this contest and it spanned, I guess, like the last couple of months of the school year. And like once or twice a week after school, we would basically compete. And I guess looking back on it, it's almost identical to the way that American Idol is set up where it's, you know, tons and tons of groups initially come out. They give kind of like an initial sort of run um, of their performance and then you kind of cut a lot of people right off the bat. And then over the course of the next few weeks, you continue to cut people until you get down to like your final number of groups, like seven, eight, whatever it was. And so in, in eighth grade, me and my, my buddy Shane, we, we did fly by Sugar Ray and we made it all the way to the second to last round. That's very impressive. Well, you know, if you made it to the last round, what you got to do is you got to perform at the Hanky Hop, which was the <laughs> end of the year uh, dance for Carl Hanky Elementary School, where I went. Um, but yeah, as a um, as a as the uh, people who got into the second to last round, we did actually get to perform in front of the entire school during school hours. So not quite as prestigious, but um, still got to perform in front of quite a few people. Well, that's great for you. Yeah, I think this is this is definitely what the people tune in for, I think, right? So I think you're going to want to edit out that whole entire story because that probably gave away like three of the, you know, the kind of go-to uh, password reset questions. So people know what your elementary <laughs> school was, uh, what band you liked most in elementary school, um, and, who, and who your childhood best friend was. We'll, we'll call this out. Let's, I've, I've got one password. It's okay. Uh, actually, I, I have a question about that. So now we're going to twist this back into technology. Oh. Um, when you have security questions, do you use the actual answer or do you fill it up like with gibberish? Because certain people are very opposed to using um, the actual answers of security questions. I don't do the gibberish thing. No, I think I answer the questions generally truthfully although i i definitely don't like when websites use that method it's just it seems very lazy it does and they all have almost the same and like a lot of them like i don't like in the fact that they change right I don't know, a lot of them just aren't aren't consistent facts it's like oh what's your favorite food well it depends on what day of the week i don't know why everybody just hasn't moved to the hey we're going to send you a four-digit code on your phone type that in real quick the thing is, I don't, I'm not sure how good two-factor authentication is going to be, especially over SMS, because SMS is not encrypted, and there's, I don't know, passwords are weird. I just wonder how long it's going to take for us to kind of move beyond that. To move beyond a password? Yeah, because there has to be a better way. You mean something like Touch ID? Maybe a little, but I, I, I don't know the answer. If I knew the answer, I would be much richer, but... I don't know. It's it's because passwords are are just not not the best solution to any of this, right? I mean, it's it's a single point of failure for most services. I don't know. Anyway, that that's not an actual topic or discussion I want to have because I have nothing really to provide. It could be a topic. We could uh, we could tangle that again. I think the last time we checked this out, it was it was purchased by BlackBerry and it's like now shut down. <laughs> uh, poor tangle. What was the other one that uh, Merlin he said? Like he said, like Tungle the Doodle or something, something like that. Yeah. All right. So, in terms of actual technology stuff, what where do you want to start? 
boy. We uh, we really picked a great time to uh, start posting these, didn't we? Just I think we did. The doldrums of the summer. I don't think so. Well, what would you like to start with? Um, eh, let's do, do you want um, what about Apple's uh, content delivery network? Ooh, I didn't put that on the list, but sure. Did you read about that at all? I did. So, I mean, I think that's one of the more interesting things because you keep hearing about all the um, the paid peering fights and the stuff that Netflix having in public, just complaining about every uh, every ne- uh, ISP that's not delivering the fastest service because Netflix decides to use the cheapest possible like backbone providers. And now um, Apple has kind of set up their own CDN so they can get away from their reliance on Akamai and Level Three. And they have paid peering agreements with most of the major ISPs to deliver their big downloads. I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting. Because like on iOS update days, like I, I, I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but I've heard like 40% of like peak internet traffic is just people downloading the new version of iOS. Just because you have so many devices in the world that all get updated within like a two-day span. So I think it's fairly important news. Now, if I if I read this correctly, for the time being, this is strictly being used for iOS updates. Well, no, actually, right now, what it's being used to deliver. So this is not take like so. I mean, the big embedded bases of things where Apple actually delivers content are currently iTunes Radio and the iTunes Store. So right now, the only thing that they're testing this on in uh, parts of Europe and the United States is with um, the OS ten beta release. And certain, mm, okay. and certain ones of the developer builds. So that's where they're starting. So they actually like, if you, um, somebody on the streamingmedia.com blog did like a trace route on it for one of the new Yosemite beta releases. And when you're with Comcast, it just goes straight, uh, through the Comcast hops over to aaplimg.com. So it skips everybody else. So it's a much more direct connection. And consequently much faster. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, again, we don't want to change it too much, but, um, you have your fancy uh, new uh, doubled internet speeds with Comcast in the Bay Area. I was literally just thinking that I, at the top of the show, the way I should have started it was with a, uh, a public service announcement or a PSA, as you would say. Um, yeah, so Comcast, it turns out, I remember they, they announced this quite a while ago, but they, they were planning on, through most major markets, doubling the uh, downstream speed of all the individual tiers. And so... Sure enough, this last week that rolled out to San Francisco and, uh, my 50, uh, megabit per second down, which I have, which I actually just upgraded to a couple of weeks ago because I got a, finally got a Doxus 3.0 modem. How's that working out for you? It's good. It's very white, isn't it? No, I didn't get the one that you recommended. Oh, which one did you get? I literally searched Amazon for Doxus 3.0 cable modem, sorted by the highest rated and selected whatever was at the top. It's the most white. Boo. It's a Motorola thing. Boo. All right. I don't like white electronics. It's going to stay in a closet or like under under the bed. Or it's something. under my bed. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so it turns out over the weekend, um, I saw a couple people post about this on Twitter that the, the update had finally rolled out to San Francisco. And sure enough, now whenever I do a speed test, my internet connection's roughly around like 95 down, which, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of that is really like... Because Comcast does that thing, right, where when it detects something that requires a short burst of speed. 
I'm like not you're, sure. You're not, I'm, you're not getting like a sustained 95 down or whatever. I think you're talking about what um, Cox in Orange County and Santa Barbara called Power Boost. And I don't think it's that. I think Comcast has something called, like, I know that one of their tiers is also called this. Like, it's called Blast. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think, think that's, that's what, what they do. Uh, okay. But what Comcast and a lot of ISPs will do is they will grant unlimited bandwidth and kind of prioritize speed test sites. Right. Knowing that people are going to use that. But anyway. Well, I, I will say that so I upgraded to this Doxus 3.0 modem uh, three weeks ago now, maybe a month ago. And I, I haven't really noticed any tangible difference. I, I Before, I had like 20 down well, with it's my just Doxus because 2.0 modem. For most people, 20 down is plenty. Exactly. And that's, that's my point is I, I just don't think I'm really – utilizing that speed because i don't really download a bunch of huge files and things like netflix and amazon instant streaming like those were already working really well like i was already getting you know full 1080p streams within a minute or two after starting whatever i was watching so but you know hey i'll take i'll take the extra speed you know what that means what's that all right so at 100 megabytes a second that means so megabytes, megabits. So, I, think, I think I've been saying you. bytes. Yeah. So at 100 megabits a second. Bits, okay. So that ends up being effectively 12 and a half megabytes a second. So that means when you're going to download um, your iOS 8 update, that means you'll be able to download that one gig file in 81 seconds because it's skipping all the backbone providers and going straight to Comcast. Well, I won't need to download my iOS update because it's already going to come preloaded on my iPhone 6. I see what you did there. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. That might be the best segue we've done so far. I think it's pretty skilled. Yeah, so, thank you. All right. So with this one, so to recap, basically Apple's going to have their press event for the iPhone 6 and whatever, whatever other hardware they might release um, for like the fall season. Um, so there's no actual news related to it. So I believe this is just going to be us saying what we hope happens. Correct? <laughs> no. So I, I want to avoid doing that because that's incredibly boring. But what, I, so here's, here's what I want to do. So it seems like the, the big thing with this new iPhone is going to be screen size. Wait, so this is just, this is just conjecture. No, you, we know there's no so, actual knowledge here. Hold on. I think what I, what I want to get from you is what your what your ideal screen size is is going to be so what 4.7 inches 4.7 the same screen size as the Motorola X okay cuz that, that and that actually has been what most of the rumors have been is that there's going to be a 4.7 inch version because it makes sense so you're excited about that i am someone so again i think we've talked about this i'm not sure if it was on a public show or not but I am excited and very worried about the rumors that keep insisting there will be a 5.5 inch phone. Because, that seems odd. So because an increased screen size of four and a half or 4.7 inches sounds like a nice worthwhile upgrade, because as I've thought more and more about it, I enjoyed the increased screen real estate you got on the iPhone 5S or on the 5, but it's, it's still a little bit too small and, and video and that kind of stuff would be much nicer on a slightly larger screen. Uh, for a short while, I used the Moto X and I found that to be pretty much the perfect size with that phone there's less um 
less like a uh, screen bezel and that kind of stuff. So the device itself is not that much larger, but you do get a pretty, um, a pretty good increase in screen real estate when you go to 4.7 inches. But when people keep floating around the rumor that there's going to be a five and a half inch screen phone, that worries me a lot just in the sense that based on how Apple usually like crafts models, that would imply that a lot of the features that I would want in a phone would be relegated to a phone that is just far too big for any sane person to want to carry. And and that's what worries me because I, I like, I'd be extremely disappointed if I had to take a lesser phone just because I want something reasonably sized. Hmm. I, I would be, I'd be really surprised if the 5.5 inch phone becomes the flagship phone that has features that only the four point or that only it has and not the 4.7 inch phone. Well, what if it's something that is just based on screen real estate? Like what if the five and a half inch phone has amazing battery life? Let's say they like steal a page from Motorola. Like Motorola has like their like max series of phones where they're willing to make a slight trade off in terms of thickness and weight to deliver a phone that has outstanding battery life. So what if the 4.7-inch screen phone um, has the same battery life as a current phone? Well, just to say, if you use your phone a lot, it's barely a day. Is that fair? Barely a day. You know, kind of you take it off the charger at 7 in the morning and you're, you're, you're in the red pretty like around 9. So what if the 5.5-inch phone, because of the like uh, just like the larger like surface area, ends up having just really good battery life? Like, battery. just knowing that's there is going to be super frustrating, right? Well, battery battery life specifically would not bum me out a whole lot. If you had a battery that you could, like, even on a heavy use day, get a full day comfortably, and that was only available on a big phone, that would stink. Come yeah. on, like, you would know, like, no. if it if it obviated the need to have, like, a battery pack in your bag all the time... I'd yeah. be super bummed. It it has become part of my my standard travel kit, or not not even necessarily like far travel. But if I'm if I know I'm going to be out for an entire day, I pretty much always will bring my my iPhone battery pack or battery case. So that's what I'm saying because the thing is, like, I don't think Apple. I'm not sure they would make that compromise, but I think they have more liberty to on a larger screen phone. So again, that's one of those features that I would be very worried that they would keep on a very large screen phone. Again, I'm not even sure they're going to do a five and a half inch uh, inch uh, screen phone, but I don't know. It's it's worrying. Maybe maybe this isn't a, a fair comparison because you're talking about different processors and all that. But isn't it the case that the 15 inch MacBook Pro has less battery life than the 13 inch? No. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, if you're comparing like processors... Apple.com. Well, you have to compare like processors, because... Let's see. Well, so that, that's, why, that's why I'm saying the processor thing gets a little tricky. But yeah, so the 13-inch 13, the 13 MacBook Pro with Retina Display is advertised as 9 hours, whereas the 15-inch models advertise as 8 hours. So it may not be the case that the, a larger screen device will have better battery life. Because, I mean, the, the fact that the screen is bigger requires a lot more power, right? A little bit, but that also gives you more surface area to have a larger battery in it. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe the MacBook Pro comparison is not a good one at all. But that, for, with Apple, that's kind of the only 
well, actually, how how is the? Oh, actually, you know, a, a much better comparison would be the iPad Mini. Hmm. I'm not. Well, that's a fairer comparison. I'm not sure that's going to be helpful here, but. Well, so like, again, us, us looking stuff out on the internet is not. I think this, that's what the that's what the people tune in for. I think. I think this is where your masterful editing is going to have to uh, get us out of this hole. Okay, it, it can do that. Yeah. Shop, so anyway, shop iPad. So let's see here. So okay, they don't make. How do you how do you do comparisons here? Well, you you, you fill in the gaps here while I, I try to figure this. I out. I keep getting five hundred two errors on Apple's websites. <laughs> Uh, so much for that new uh, content distribution center. That's not what CDN stands for, but okay. Oh, whatever. That's uh, all right. You've had a long day. I have had a long day. We we, we uh, film these at, uh, or sorry, we record these at <laughs> we, two in the we, morning. Yeah, we, there's there's video that we just don't post on the internet. Uh, we're gonna do one of those uh, like it's like a Spinal Tap style documentary, like ten years down the road. Right. Yeah. Well, the so the iPad would be a much better comparison, but I literally can't find uh, any sort of comparison on Apple's website. So this is this is useless. So anyway, I I don't necessarily know that a bigger screen it will lead to better battery life. I think the theory is good, given that you just have more real estate to put a battery. But I don't I don't know how big of a difference that would make. Okay, I still you know what I know we don't want to get into the the speculation part of this, but I well that's exactly uh, what we're doing. Yeah, well, again, it's 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 disingenuous to pretend that we're above this. I don't, I really don't think they're going to come out with a five point five inch iPhone. That just just does something about that just doesn't seem. I don't I, think they I, will I just, either. I just don't think they're going to do it. Like, I know there was all the, like because Steve Jobs um, a couple years ago when people were saying, "Well, why aren't you making uh, a seven inch? Or why aren't you making a somewhat more compact?" Um, tablet and he was like well that's just not the right screen size and eventually they were like oh apple's reverting on its stance and they're doing this i don't think it would be the same way in terms of a um like a hybrid ta- uh, like a hybrid tablet slash phone thing i think five and a half inches or is just too large for the average person to want and i don't think apple generally spe- like specializes in markets with limited appeal yeah, I, like, I, I like yeah. Samsung gets to make the note just because Samsung is willing to make anything to appease anybody. Like they would, like if if somebody could potentially want to buy something, they'll make the phone. They they don't care. But I don't think Apple is the same way. They don't make specialized hardware other than like the Mac Pro or something like that. Yeah, and I and I don't think you know the the comparison with the iPad Mini getting away from the the battery thing we were just trying to figure out, but the just the physical screen size. A 7.9-inch tablet makes a lot of sense, and it works really, really well. I don't think you'll find anybody who will hold a 5.5-inch phone and say that that's the ideal size. Like, Have you have you ever met anybody who likes a, a phone that big? Old, old people. I'm being dead serious. Hmm. Like, hold on. Let me let me uh, go ahead and keep talking about whatever else you think. And I'm going to send you a picture or something. Yeah, I just I don't I just don't think that I think even when you get like in the just the five inch range, I think you're you're hard pressed to find a lot of people who say that's the ideal screen size. Now, I guess I mean there are things like the Nexus Five. Um, I don't know how how big the S 
um, S5 screen is, but it's, it's 5. around 1. 5, 5.1. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there, there are some people who like that screen size, but I think there are an equal number, if not a greater number of people who think that's just too big. So I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm skeptical of the whole idea. I agree. And I really hope that everybody's wrong. And I don't, I don't understand the whole reporting screen sizes and factory orders as though it's truth and just kind of backtracking as things go on. Because if you read the Wall Street Journal or like a lot of a lot of newspapers, people will act like it's a foregone conclusion that all these things are happening before anything even really corroborates it. So I, it seems like reckless journalism in a lot of ways because there are like newspapers like DigiTimes and a lot of other things which like Gruber uh, tries to shame regularly. But I. It just seems like a lot of just like slapdash journalism. But yeah, I sent you a link to uh, what a lot of um, the older folks absolutely love from Samsung. This is the uh, S4 easy mode or the easy mode on the S4, I guess better put. Yes. So it's just uh, bigger, shock- bigger icons, shockingly large icons. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's. That's not unreasonable, but I don't think you need. I don't think you need a five and a half inch screen to make something like this useful. Mm-hmm. A mode like this could be useful even on like the current four inch version of the iPhone. Most certainly. So actually, well, let me ask about that. So again, we are like devolving into speculation. Well, let's just face it. Yeah. So okay. what do you think the iPhone like sales grid will look like come September? Do you think they're going to just like drop the 5S and the 5C down a rung, officially killing all of the old like 30 pin models like the 4S? Or do you think the 5C even continues on? What's that going to look like? Because you know, Apple always loves to have kind of a lower end phone at the entry level end of the market, something that's close to free subsidized, something that's close to $400 unsubsidized. I think. I think the 5C will stick around and become something like the 5CS. Uh, probably not what they would call it, but what do something you mean? like that. So it would be the 5C that we know today, but with specs closer to the 5S. So then what slots in at the uh, near free price point with a contract? Do you think it's the old 5C? Yeah. No, no, no. Or I think it'd be maybe the, well, yeah, maybe. maybe because the, the 5S 5C. has to, yeah. the, sorry, the 4S has to die, right? Because did they f- ever kill off the iPad 2? Like, do they still sell iPads that have a 30-pin connector? I believe so. Hmm. Yeah, I believe you can still buy the iPad 2. Oh, goodness. Or at least you could a while ago. Maybe they did. Finally. I remember, like, there was like just every time there was an Apple announcement, like on Twitter, you'd always see people like like the Death Watch for the iPad too, and it just would never go away. Yeah, they don't they don't list it in the store anymore. So maybe they did finally take away the iPad too. Yeah, it looks like they did. Nice, but they do still have the 4S. So yeah, I think I think the 30 pin connector is finally gone for sure. Can we have a Can we have a show dedicated to singing the praises of the Lightning connector? Yes, we can. Um, Abs- absolutely. Just the fact that you can insert it upside down. Just wonderful. That might be your third show title in a row. Thank you. Um, anyway. Wait. <laughs> um, Wait, I-, I missed it. What did I say? There's something, something to do with the lightning cable being upside down. 
That's pretty good. Yeah, you can put it in upside down. Uh-huh. Okay. So, all right. So, that, that's enough of the iPhone 6. I, yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah. W- what do you want it to have? 4.7-inch screen. Okay. What about storage capacities? You have a 64 right now. Yeah. Do you think this is the year they finally go to 128 on the phone? I do. Would you buy that? No. Or would you stay with 64? I'd stay with 64. Ooh, a more important question, I think. Will 30, when will 32 become the minimum? This year. I don't think so. I think they'll just bump everything up a, a ring. So it'll be 32, mm-hmm. 64, 128. Because Apple's cheap. Like they still, I don't know, like I don't understand how they still get away with this where the 16 gigabyte iPhone 5S is $650, the 32 is 750 It's It's $100 between each rung. And the doubling makes no sense. So it's $100 to go from 16 to 32, and it's $100 to go from 32 to 64. Like, they're nonsense RAM or, uh, like, flash memory prices. How many more years are they going to pull that? I, th- I think that the $100 gap between each level will continue. I just think it'll be, instead of 16, 32, 64, it'll be 32, 64, 128. I mean, God, I hope that. I mean, I, I really oh. hope they do. But Apple, like, for, yeah. for as much as I love them, they are stingy with the RAM and the flash memory. They are. Because 16 gigs, I feel bad for anybody. Like, a lot of people think, oh, 16 gigs, that's plenty. But when you actually know how to use it and you really take tons of those, and, like, I assume the camera probably won't stay 8 megapixels. It's going to go higher than that. So you can have even larger, uh, even larger files. Nobody's actually subscribed to iTunes Match. So they have music directly on the device. They've got their podcast. They've got they've got technically correct subscribed in Instacast. They've they need more space. I actually sixteen know, is not sustainable. I actually know a couple of people. I'm not making this up. I have a couple of friends who, and if they're listening, I apologize. But it, they who own sixteen gigabyte iPhones. And, How do they live? Well, so literally, they're not making this up. They live on the edge. Literally, will delete and reinstall apps as they need more space. No. Mhm. So if they if they go to take a picture and that bumps them over their limit, they will <laughs> delete an app that they haven't used in a while and then if they end up needing it again at some point, they'll they'll delete something else and then re-download it. Who? I'm not well, we're not going to name names on the show. You can put in the robot. Oh. But I I, I I can tell you off air, but I, I've that's, literally that's madness. I've, I've literally seen this in action. No, I've seen people who will go until they're absolutely out of memory, and then like they try to take a picture, and then they'll comb through their gallery and try to delete two pictures so they can take two more. I've seen that insanity, but I just don't get it. <laughs> I I don't either. It's like ordering a computer with like too little RAM. It's just it's it's madness. I feel like I need an iPhone though that's like. 45 gigabytes because 32 wasn't enough and 64 is too much. Like how, I, I, no, no, no. how is 64 too much? I you have, can never have too much. Is it complaining would, that I, oh, I'm partially empty. Please feed me. <laughs> like, no, I've never understood people who say you can have like too much power or you can have too much of something well, in that it, sense. It's just that I have over 20 gigabytes free. Okay. But I guess, you know, I, how I guess is that I, a bad thing? Like, it, how? It's not a bad thing. It's just unused space. That's a good song. <laughs> I do enjoy his new album. It's very it's very overplayed though. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess having the extra space and knowing that I have the extra space gives me the you know peace of mind to just not ever have to think about it, which has some value, but I don't so quite we, need 64 gigabytes. So you're going on the record that you think on the highest end model that 32 will be the minimum. I think, I think the, yeah. I, I hope I think, you're right, but you, I think the, you really I think, it, think that. I think there will be a device called the iPhone 6. I think it will have a 4.7 inch screen. It will be the flagship device. It will have every single new hardware feature. And what does that mean? It will. Hmm? What does that mean? What new hardware features? Well, I don't know. And it'll have 32, 64, and 128 gigabyte versions starting at, I guess they start at what, 199? Subsidized. Right. So 199, 299, 399, 32, 64, 128. And I do not think there will be a 5.5 inch phone. I think that's, I think that's something that got lost in translation somewhere. And as you said earlier, there's just been this reckless journalism of people just copying and pasting that over and over again. And to wrap up this conversation, do you think this is going to be a strictly iPhone event? Or... You don't have to speculate on it, but do you think there will be some kind of wearable device or iPad refresh or anything else? If I had to guess, I would say no. Just because history has shown, her history up to this point has shown that when they do an iPhone event, it's an iPhone event. They don't stray into any other categories. The iPhone is big enough to give its own event. So does the wearable device come out this year? No, I don't think so. I just think we would have seen it by now. I, I'm until Apple is able to come out with new hardware without it leaking ahead of time, I, because that that just hasn't happened since like the original iPhone. But they're doubling down on secrecy. Yeah, but that that quotes from years ago. It's and not been, though because yeah, thing, that was no, a couple no, no, years no. ago. You don't think Apple can get more su- uh, control over the supply chain? Like, no, I don't. No, they went for two years and nobody knew anything about a brand new programming language nobody knew anything about the increased well, accessibility totally and extensibility of ios 8 no that i think apple is capable since they've brought so many things in-house i think they are capable of keeping but those ex- those examples you just gave are all software that software's never been the problem it's always the hardware that, that leaks out because the hardware they can't have as much control over they don't they don't manufacture millions of iphones on their cupertino campus as much as I'm sure they would love to, they just don't have that ability. And like, I mean, they name me a single Apple piece of Apple hardware since the original iPhone that hasn't leaked out ahead of time. That's I mean, it's seven years of history now where stuff just leaks out. I just have a hard time believing that this wearable thing or whatever it is is going to be the first thing since then that's going to come out and not leak before. I still believe in Santa. Well, okay. That's why that's why I really, really thought that if it was going to come out this year, what they would do is announce it at WWDC and say, hey, here's the here's like the SDK. We'll let you start building apps for it. And it's coming out this holiday season. And that, you know, that does two things. One is it, like I just said, it gives developers the ability to start making apps for it. And two, it makes it so that they don't have to worry about the whole supply chain thing because they'll publicly unveil it before it starts going into mass production while still getting it out in time for the holidays. But that that ship has sailed now. Sorry to be a downer, but... That's okay. But I mean, Apple... And have you been in an Apple store recently? 
Um, not not real recently. No. Hmm. Have you been in a Microsoft store recently? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in a Microsoft store. Yeah, you have. You, I've you've... taken pictures from the outside. I don't think I've physically ever been inside of it. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, this was supposed to be a masterful segue, but uh, that's that's fine. Anyway, so did you see the story that allegedly uh, Microsoft is thinking of doing like a Fifth uh, Fifth Avenue store to compete with the Apple store? Oh God, no, I didn't see this. Can, <laughs> can I actually can I actually say something about the the Fifth Avenue Apple store though? Sure. So I I saw it in person uh, for the first time a couple of months ago. It's like a tourist landmark. It, yeah, gosh, so many people taking pictures. It was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And, well, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually disappointed by it. It was it. The cube is much much smaller in person, like much smaller. I don't know. In pictures, it seems like it looks like a this like a pretty like big thing. But in, I know in person, it's it's actually quite small. I thought. I wasn't particularly impressed. Did you go inside? I didn't go inside, no. Did you see the Grand Central Apple Store? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the Grand Central Apple Store is absolutely gorgeous. I just didn't think the cube was anything special. Hmm. Well, you have to chalk it up to them to kind of create iconic retail spaces where people want to go not just for the products, but just they think that it's a landmark, which which is kind of nuts, right? That is kind of crazy. Yeah. But this is, I mean, going back to this Microsoft thing, that this is common, right? Like, haven't they always sort of built these Microsoft stores near Apple stores? They have, but I think this one's more symbolic. And I, and I don't understand why they would still do this, because I understand Microsoft needs a retail presence, and they've had limited success with the Microsoft stores they have now. And we should note that one of the first two was in Mission Viejo, California. But I, I don't... <sighs> This seems too me too. This like I I this seems like something that Samsung would do. I don't see what they get out of this. It also seems very odd that this New York Daily News article. Why does is it have Bill Gates on it? Picture of Bill Gates. Yeah. I, Unless it's him, like, like Bill Gates. He he's moved on. He's he's doing amazing things now. Well, I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't either. But what a sorry, unrelated. But what a good second act for Bill Gates. I agree. Completely agree. Okay. So that's all I had. It's really just uh yeah, I don't I don't understand it, but who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be a gigantic like sphere or something. I, I don't yeah, I don't really I don't really fully understand the Microsoft retail strategy. I do in the sense that like Microsoft for a while, especially under Balmer, they were trying to protect Windows everywhere and they saw that stores like Best Buy selling like crapware filled Windows PCs was a problem and they needed to show people more of a clean windows experience and how it integrated with all the other Microsoft technologies. So Microsoft retail store was not, not a horrible idea and they thought it was necessary, but they, that doesn't allow them to kind of control everything else in kind of the, the ecosystem like crappy Dell $400 laptops aren't going to stop existing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess people, some people were saying that the same, the same thing about when Apple first started doing retail, people just didn't really understand what the point was. But these Microsoft stores have been around long enough now where it seems like if they would have caught on, it would have happened by now. Because the Apple stores kind of caught on pretty quickly, didn't they? Uh, they did. But if Windows if Windows 8 was going to catch on, it would have caught on by now, right? 
Like I don't think you get to fault. I don't. I don't think you get to fault the store for a failure of the products. Well, but the store is only as good as the products. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying too. We agree on something. Good. We agree on lots on this show. That's true. It's more fun when we when we disagree, though. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about something fun. Do you have anything fun? I do. I want. I want to talk about. I've, I've got two two fun things I want to talk about. So the first is this this car thing that I posted in uh, in the notes here. Is this Navdi? Yeah. So the the specific article I put in here is about a product called Navdi, which is a heads up display that runs Android. It basically sits on your like dashboard and projects this this little screen on your windshield. And, and it's got it's got things like oh well and of course the video is done by none other than Adam Lissagor. But you're done right. Uh, um, <laughs> As referenced in our last episode, it is a sandwich video. I think you know. I think that's that's a sign. That's that's the biggest sign that you and I are are so in sync on this show. Is I knew exactly what you were going to reference because without he, any sort of hint. Because he's a terrific pitch man. He is. And also a, a couple things. I, not to detract from your whole summary of the product, but you watched the video, right? I actually didn't watch the video. Okay, we got to watch the video just because one he it's he does the whole demo inside of a Ford Focus, which he or sorry a Ford Fusion. And on the front of it, it has a license plate that's a sandwich on it. And on top of the Ford logo, uh, there's a Bentley sticker. Just for those two <laughs> things alone, it is worth the two minutes. That's pretty good. Yeah. But overall, yeah. So it's it's a heads-up display that's – I'm sorry to steal your whole uh, st- story premise. Oh, no. I mean, please. It's, it's your show. It's fine. But it's a heads-up display that uh, will link with, over Bluetooth to your Android or iOS smartphone, kind of show when you have calls and text messages and things on a heads-up display that kind of – Pretend, like visually, it looks like it's two meters ahead of you. So it's at the same focal length as what's outside your window. It's supposed to be more safe than kind of like um, a like suction cup mounted phone for like navigation directions and stuff. So it's a neat idea. And they're um, doing kind of one of those like um, kind of like coin in the sense that it's a hardware startup that is pre-selling a product that doesn't necessarily exist yet to get the funding necessary to ramp up production. So it sells for $300 now, which is at a 40% discount. So it's supposed to retail when it comes out in mid-2015 for $500. It looks really cool. It does. If, if but it actually works like it's advertised. It does, but I, I, I assume it's probably not going to work necessarily as advertised. Um, And like other companies are already doing this, like BMW and I believe Mercedes already have heads-up displays and that kind of stuff that integrate into the car's systems. So... I think the the biggest question with this is all of these pictures and because it, it has to be this way when you're taking photos, but like all these pictures into, have a like simulated screen and that's... Well, yeah, I assume it's really hard to photograph because it's... Of course. But so that that's my big question though, is how great is that display? And I guess you'd have to just see it for yourself. Yeah. But any, anyway, Carlos, as you know, this is not a tech news show. So I don't I don't bring this story up necessarily as just to talk about the Navdi. I think you brought it up to talk about sandwich video. Well, I, I did to a degree. But, um, you know, what, what we like to do on the show is we like to you know bring up current event stories, but then kind of expand them into a broader discussion. Take it and turn it. Yeah, that's what they say. Yes. So the the broader discussion here is... 
like what what do you what do you want to see in car technology because i i feel like for me there really just isn't any great car tech out there even like I, really the only thing that i've ever been super impressed by is the touchscreen in the the tesla model s i strongly disagree with that huh so that's one of the things that I think certain companies like BMW do better, which is that they don't rely on touchscreens, which are unsafe to operate while you're in your car. Like BMW does it through like a um, mechanical and rotatable um, little like joystick that's on the center console. That seems much safer combined with voice commands than any type of touchscreen is. I think the Tesla Model S, it has a 17-inch touchscreen that's just – enormously impractical to use and almost every review of the car says it's one of the worst parts of the car that it looks beautiful and it looks like a cool idea but that the software in the car is actually really really bad so i don't think that that's that nice and i think we both agreed when we saw it in person is the tesla model s interior is not very like it doesn't match the exterior look of the car right it feels rather cheap right well that's a little bit of a different discussion you're right but I guess I just I just mean in the sense that there's just there's never really been a, a car dashboard or any sort of multimedia interface that just has felt really nice. I, mean, I guess you're I guess you're disagreeing though. I guess you're saying that the 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 system in your fancy new BMW is uh, you you like. Well, I'm saying it's fine, and I think Ford Sync and a lot of that stuff on the higher end versions is not horrible. I think a lot of people have gone overboard with it. I think like who's the who's the company that makes everything touch based? I don't know. I, I don't remember, but there's a lot of cars where it's Lexus, where they try to integrate like the air conditioning controls and absolutely everything that could possibly be controlled in the car, they've tried to cram into a touchscreen, which makes for an absolutely horrible and unsafe experience. So I think there are certain people that are making this better, but I'm not sure if a product like this really addresses too much. And I think it incorrectly encourages too much interaction while the car's in motion. Because I think for me, what I would really want is a system that really just shows me what notifications are coming in into my phone and that has a button for Siri. And if it can't be done by voice, it just shouldn't be done. Like, is that fair? I think the very fair. Yeah. And I, that, that kind of sounds like what Navdi's trying to do, right? It is, but because it's, I don't, I assume it's just not going to work that well. It it seems like it makes for a really, really cool demo, but I'm not sure this is going to fit in all cars. I'm not, I, I assume it's going to be fiddly to the point where it's not going to work for a second and people are going to try to fix the connection while driving. And it's gesture based and it's motion gesture based, which seems like it's, it's just prone to error. So I really wish it worked the way it looks from the demo, but I'm really not sure it will. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I, I would want to see one of these in person before I bought one. Yeah. And again, and I'm all for the innovation, and I really like that people are trying to do more things to make the connected driving experience not as dangerous and unsafe as it is now. Because right now there's a lot of people like, I mean, still, they're just a ton of ridiculous people that think texting while driving is okay. And I'm not saying this fixes the problem, but whatever is is making that type of thing safer is is for the best until we get our Google self-driving cars. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah, I, I just, I don't, I, I just feel that current, yeah, the, the, the current landscape of car tech is just really disappointing. Well, it what's really so, isn't well, anything great. So with Fiesta, what's <laughs> what? Uh, he'll continue. Yeah, is that not his or her it's, name? It's just such a, it's, oh, the, it's just such a terrible name. But anyway, <laughs> the Ford Party. So, um, what's what's so you didn't get the model that has like a navigation screen in it? But so what's What's wrong with Sync? I thought for a lot of years people were really, really proud of that or really happy with that. Well, Sync, Sync is the way that I use it is just it just is a nightmare because it does have integration with certain apps. So if it's it's a handful of apps. It's like Pandora, NPR, um, uh, iHeartRadio, I think. And anyway, some handful of apps work with it's called like Sync App Link. And the way it works is you... Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah, that you, is definitely a Microsoft and Ford name. T- totally. Although Sync's actually a pretty good name. That, that, that is actually the, good. The app link thing, not so much. But So the way this works is you plug in your phone to the USB port, you press the little button to pr- pull up the voice command, and you say, you know, app link, and then it provides you with a list of apps on your phone that are app link compatible. You say the name of the app and it launches into the experience. So like Pandora is the one that I've actually used. It gives you the ability to go to different stations, thumbs up, thumbs down, all the, all the kind of stuff you would normally do with your phone, with your hands, you can do with your voice, which is great. Um, but the huge caveat, and this is, this is just a crazy caveat with the way that app link works is your screen on your phone has to be turned off in order for that to work. So if for my use case, I use my phone as my GPS in my car and I have one of those, you know, mounts that go on the the dashboard. And so I'm always using my phone as my GPS and so my screen's always on. And so I I can't use AppLink. Um and unfortunately when you don't use AppLink the integration with third-party media apps is poor to say the least. Like, I, I, like literally, no joke. Like, I can't. Whenever I turn on my car, I don't know whether my phone audio is going to work or not, and whether I have to like reboot sync or pl- unplug the phone, plug it back in. Like, there, there's literally no rhyme or reason as to whether or not audio is going to play out of my phone. That seems like a poor experience. And to be fair, I I did get like the really low end, bare bones version of Sync. There is a version, it's called Sync with My Ford Touch that actually has like a big touch screen and and all this stuff. Because you know, another example with the basic version of Sync that I have is there. You know, there there are two line in methods. There's the traditional three and a half millimeter audio cable, and then there's audio over USB. There is not any way to select audio over USB with anything other than your voice. There is no menu you can go into to select that. Oh, goodness. Which is really like the, the, the worst case example of this is when I have a car, a full car with like three other people in it. And I'm sitting there like an idiot trying to get the music <laughs> to start by saying USB repeatedly. Like it, it's... It's incredibly embarrassing. It's stupid. And I mean, it's usually just my friends. So like, whatever. But that sounds genuinely amusing, though. It's terrible. Like, it, it's just awful. Because um, I assume it's like every other uh, word is just swearing. And that's probably what's throwing it off. <laughs> Basically. 
Well, and then of course, you know, once it doesn't work once, people think that's really funny. And so whenever you try to do it again, people will talk over you just because they know that'll mess it up. And it's just, it's a whole big mess. That's pretty mean. Okay. Um, but you know, taking a step back, like understanding that I know they might, I got a very, very basic, you know, entry level car. So I, you know, I don't have your big fancy BMW. I, it's not fancy. Well, it's nice. Mm. Um, but even when I was looking for a car last year, even like I, I, I looked at a bunch of models that like I knew I wasn't going to ultimately get, but I, I was just curious about the technology. There just wasn't anything out there that really impressed me. Just everything just, I know the, the inner, the interfaces seemed clunky. Um, like even just like, I'll tell you like a little thing, right? Like, there are so few car. There are a couple of models that are out there that do this, but like ninety five percent don't. Where they have a nice big you know screen where you can plug your phone in via USB and then sort of control everything from that screen. Like there's nowhere to put your phone. Like you just have to like run this janky USB cable like around your driver's seat and like kind of put your phone like in the cup holder or something. Like hmm. just, the whole experience is just is just crummy. Like, how does your BMW work? Like, how, where do you, where do you plug the phone in? Uh, just, there's a USB port just front and center and they have a little space for your phone. They, so they, they do solve this. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. I found that a lot of cars didn't. No, it seems weird because like, because why, like, it's because it's going to rattle around in the cup holder and that's not, ex- if you're ever using the navigation, if the car doesn't have it, that's, that's not safe to look at either. Right. I think, and I think the thing is with cars, they, there aren't enough units to move where hiring developers who are, or designers who are really going to think this through is going to pay off. Yeah. It seems like the, seems like the really hard thing too, is that, you know, a car is certainly not something you upgrade every couple of years, not even something you upgrade every few years. And so there's just no way really for your car to keep up with new technology. I mean, sure, there can be software updates and everything, but if there's any sort of major improvement with the manufacturer's like hardware, oh, or the way like, that you, like they're going to care to swap that out? No, there's <laughs> right. Like if if they come out with some new great way of you know a, a method of input, you're you're stuck with whatever you have. Exactly, and that's that's so, tough. So let's let's take that and turn it. So if we're looking at CarPlay or Android Auto, do you think that's the solution? Do you think that cars need to instead just put kind of like a like just like a dumb terminal in there where it's just a monitor that connects to your phone? Is that the more logical way to do this? Yeah, I mean like and I think for me the ultimate in-car solution is CarPlay that works with essentially all third-party apps because the version the version of CarPlay we have today is limited to at like five or six third-party apps. And well, the version of, of CarPlay of we I have use. now runs on like two cars. True, like it is not wide. I assume once it has wide availability, which is going to be way down the road, I think people will care because like is is CarPlay even a thing yet? In the sense, like, is it part of iOS seven or is it an iOS eight beta feature? It's part of iOS 7. Hmm. So it's actually out there. It is. Yeah. And and Pandora is not one of the apps, right? Because it has iTunes radio on it. It's, well, they, they have, um, I think they have iHeartRadio and maybe Spotify on it. 
So I don't think there I don't think there's any sort of like specific conflict with audio, but it, like I said, it's it's very um it's it's very limited with the number of third party apps it supports. Yeah. Well, do you know what kind of car you do not need to worry about your technology in? What's that? Uh, an Uber that's priced below market value that you share with somebody else. Ooh, man, just on fire with the segues this evening. I like it. This this genuinely has me kind of mad. So I'll, I'll let you introduce this because it's your favorite company. I love Uber. Love Uber so much. Um, so this is Uber Pool. I think I texted this link to you within 15 seconds of seeing it come on my phone yesterday. So this is a new service. It's currently in beta here in, you know, fancy San Francisco where, you know, Uber's for a long time had a, a fair splitting feature where if you and one or more friends were splitting an Uber, you could share the cost right there on the phone. This is a service where if you're, you know, writing, writing solo, as you would say, um, you can essentially sign up for this Uber pool thing. And if there happens to be someone, some random person who's being picked up and dropped off in similar locations, you can share the cost of the Uber just like you would with a friend, which I actually think is a really cool idea. Like sharing an Uber with another random person totally wouldn't bother me at all. Because the driver's already a random person, so like whatever. So I think I think this is pretty cool. So I I mean it is genuinely a cool idea. And I think from a technology perspective, it's even more interesting in the sense that they think they have enough combined data yeah. to know when somebody else will they can they can predict when somebody else will be in the area wanting a ride on a similar route. So I think just from a just a raw data perspective, that's extremely neat. My issue is the part where on their website, they say that even if you aren't matched up with somebody, they will still give you the discounted rate. That's the part that seems extreme. Like, because already UberX, like the company is probably not profitable and they're already operating at a loss and just offering rates that aren't, matchable like people get mad at walmart for all this kind of stuff but nobody cares here so if they're giving you a discount that's what that would then be like 65 percent cheaper than a taxi whether or not you're sharing it with somebody else that just seems i don't know i i think though that what you're referring to is something that is probably specific to this beta period i don't think that will continue to be the case once this goes live i think i think the whole incentive to give you the discount no matter what is sort of just an incentive to get more people to use this beta i i doubt that will be part of the general release i'd be really surprised well i i, I would hope so because that just that seems like a really shady part of this everything else seems fantastic because that, that's an op that's an optimization of like a limited resource like this will help cut down on search pricing this will make everybody happier and this kind of increases their market position because more people will become reliant on it. So I think it's great. I think that the whole the whole problem though with the argument about Uber you've been making is we we don't know. They're not a public company. So we we have no insight into their financials. So until we know definitively because I I because I, I totally agree with you. If if they become a public company, they gotta, you know, open the kimono again as you would say. Never. I think <laughs> um and and if it turned out they were losing money hand over fist, then I, I completely agree with you. 
But if somehow they're profitable, despite do you think they're profitable these, on their current margins? Honestly, I, I I really don't know. I have I have so little insight into the costs it takes to run a, a transportation service. Like I I have no idea, and I, I just I think it, I think it's tough to make an argument one way or the other until we know for sure. Okay, that's fair. I think you're wrong, but that's fair. <laughs> I mean, okay. I do I do not I do not have the numbers behind it, but I think I am making a fair assertion. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I I think I think particularly with tech companies, financials end up being a really surprising thing. But this is this is this is a type of service where you can very easily estimate the costs. What are the fuel costs? What are the insurance costs? What are the labor costs to hire somebody behind this? Even if you exclude all the engineering costs, you can estimate what this is. Well, maybe, maybe that, maybe you should, you should crunch the numbers. Okay. Again, a very, very cool idea. And again, I just, uh, and actually Uber is very good about, um, kind of introducing the engineering and like the mathematics and economics behind what they do on their blog. So I hope after this has been live for a couple months that they share some of the data about it. Yeah, they apparently they actually have a full science team. Like if you look on job postings for them, they they have a whole group which is dedicated to just like studying data. That's neat. Which, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Seems like it would take a lot of six dollar Uber rides to pay for that team, though. <laughs> which is, I guess, further supporting your mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But we'll but we'll mm-hmm. see. We don't know. Hmm. Well, this seems like a, a segue into maybe the the final uh, final big story of the week. This is an article that you shared with me. Oh, the end of uh, the on demand economy. Yeah, the I want it when I want it generation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you did you just come up with that right now? No, no that that's a, that's a well known phrase. Again, oh. <laughs> the worst generation. Okay, so you, you well you okay you have you have to explain a, a loaded phrase like that. No, we just are like ugh. we're a generation of people that does not understand how to be bored and can't deal with things not being on our schedule, for better or for worse. Because o- over the past couple of decades, things have changed dramatically. The internet has changed everything. The access to information has gotten so much quicker. We now have Google. We can search for anything. We have all this information at hand. We went from having to rent movies at a video store, go to movie theaters, to go to Netflix where we got things delivered through the mail. Now it's on-demand streaming. Normally you had uh, you had a driver where, then you had taxis, then you had Uber, and you have, you have all these things that everything's just becoming much more demand responsive, and technology is helping to enable that. But I think that's making just for a, a far worse generation of entitled people. So th- this is all in response. There's a a series that uh, Recode is doing. This is their uh, special series about the new instant gratification economy. And they say that they are exploring the explosion of tech startups that cater to our every need and desire on demand. Which is, which is totally true. I I was actually th- thinking about this recently. I can't remember what why, but starting just to, to realize when I looked at like my phone, how many different services I have now where there was something that I previously had to like go out and do 
for everything from like get a cab to getting food or, you know, lawn dry cleaning, whatever. And now, now there's essentially an app for every one of those things where those services can be brought to me and not only brought to me, but brought to me essentially instantly. So other than Uber and like Munchery, what else do you have? Um, well, th- those are the only two that I really use actively. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't, I don't really use a, a ton of other ones. Like I, I, there, there are a couple of dry cleaning services that I've thought about trying, but ultimately, um, I mean, there's a dry cleaning place. But really, real that, that's the me, thing. So. How, how difficult are a lot of these things to do with just places that already exist nearby? Not everything has to, has to be an on-demand application. Yeah. Like, well, I, get, like getting food. People can walk outside sometimes. It's, it's okay. I think that the, the interesting thing after, you know, kind of skimming through this article that you sent me, it is totally true that I find myself being a lot more impatient than I used to be. I mean, I've, I've never really been like a particularly patient person, but I find now like even something as simple as if I have to do something, like if I have to change the type of service I have with a particular company or something like that, if I have to call that company instead of being able just to very quickly log on to my account on a website and click a button and have it done right then and there, like that really bothers me. If I have to see, like, if I have to spend 15 minutes on the phone versus two minutes on a website, I find that really, really annoying. Give me an example. Uh, so Comcast is a great example where if you want to make any sort of changes to your levels of service, either up or down, you have to call. There's, there's no way to click a button on your Comcast account on their website and do that. Like the, the recent example I ran into was when I upgraded my cable modem and then subsequently upgraded my level of internet service. And it, those, uh, those two things, the modem and upgrading service required like four different phone calls. And that took, you know, I don't know how long. And to be fair, some of that was technical trouble with the modem, but a, a lot of that was just upgrading the service. And like when I upgraded the internet service, I also wanted to make a change on my TV package and the person who I spoke to about the internet had to transfer me to somebody else about the TV. And it just, it, it just would be so much better if I was able to go onto a website and do that. But anyway, then none of that's particularly interesting. But what I think is kind of interesting is I never would have even given it a second thought a handful of years ago if I had to call to do something like that. Cause that was just sort of like the expectation. Oh, whenever you want to upgrade or downgrade service, you got to talk to somebody. But now that I've gotten a taste with like other companies where I've been able to make changes more um, on the fly, like on a website, um, that's what that's what I want to be able to do now. And that to me is sort of like the standard, fairly or not. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm not really sure where my frustrations lie. I, I guess because we're in this kind of venture-backed economy – where a lot of companies that don't necessarily have a true business plan and offer things at a hyper-competitive rate before that's actually anything that would be remotely profitable in the next couple of years, I guess that's the part that kind of frustrates me, where it makes things 
that shouldn't be possible possible. Does that make any sense? That that does, although I feel like that maybe is a, sort of a different topic. I don't like there, that's that's more related to the Uber thing we were just talking about, where if if, if these companies are not economically sustainable and they're being propped up by venture funds, I hundred and ten percent agree. That's that's a load of crap. But that is most of this. That's the problem, and then that works to to harm and to undermine businesses that already like current business models that already exist and operate with actual costs. So once uh, so once these companies go out of business or don't go anywhere what happens? That that's the part just that just frustrates I, me. I, okay, I, I like what you did there. That 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 ties it back. What do you mean? Well, because by you know, by having these companies where they're really not viable and they sort of create this new standard that was never reasonable in the first place it sort of undermines existing businesses and their standards and and kind of unfairly makes them look bad exactly thank you thank you for organizing my thoughts for me that's fantastic you know i'm i'm here here to help thank you like i guess that's the whole part that bothers me i don't i don't mind a bunch of entitled 20 something people who work for technology companies just demanding everything all the time but the fact that it comes so cheaply is the part that's a little bit frustrating in the sense that somebody gets mad that they had to wait 35 minutes for their um, food order from Seamless to come through. I, like, I, I don't know. You know, even on a bigger scale, I think what's a really good example of this is Amazon Prime. Exactly. And that's initially in this article, they cited that. Whereas that was kind of the precursor to this, where normally internet commerce would take like a week to a week and a half to really get you something. And then Amazon spent so much money on infrastructure and logistics to get you something where for 80 bucks a year, you could say, or sorry, it's 99 now, right? Right. Where you could say you want anything in the world, they would offer at almost near cost because Amazon's content with not making any money and they would ship it to you in two days. And well, not only not making money, but that's actually something that um, Amazon has to, I don't know if they have to, but they do. They separately disclose in all their financials. They have a little table that shows shipping costs and uh, loss on shipping. Well, definitely at, at costs for the products, but the shipping usually, if you really use Amazon Prime, way outweighs the $100 that you're paying for. Right. And so there's two things that make, I think, Amazon Prime a really good example of this. One is they're, they are a public company, so we do actually have really good insights into the, the financials behind this. And two, it's a very tangible thing to be able to test. Like, you, you know, for a hundred dollars a year now, I get unlimited two day shipping. Whenever I sell something on eBay or just otherwise have to ship stuff to people, go 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 to UPS or FedEx or whoever and go see how much it costs to ship something two days, even even just a short distance. Like even if bucks. I'm just shipping something to another part of California, easily right thirty forty dollars. For one item, one small item. And of course, Amazon, well, I mean, so a couple things here. So, I mean, Amazon, because they're such a large player, has the ability to negotiate volume and bulk pricing with, with distributors and, and, um, and delivery carriers. But also to that, Amazon has found that it's so expensive to do that, where I'm not sure if you, if this applies to you in like San Francisco, but like in the East Bay, whenever I order anything from Amazon, Tons of times it will come through this new delivery service that is actually owned by Amazon. It's not even on track. It's actually Amazon itself. 
Oh, I've never had that. Oh, and they're the worst. Oh, interesting. I haven't had they that They delivered yet. something to the uh, rent payment Dropbox at the leasing office. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was outstanding. And then I had to go ask, can you try to go fish an SD card out of your rent payment box for me? Oh, jeez. I don't know. So it's it's a very complicated problem. But that kind of stuff is like Amazon and a lot of these companies, and particularly Netflix um, and iTunes, have trained people to th- to like they've just, they've reduced so many barriers between actually getting at content, and a lot of that's the move from physical media to digital. But a lot of things are still tangible objects that are to the consumer appearing artificially cheap to obtain and to move around. Which is creating unrealistic expectations for a lot of things. Totally. And now, you know, because of something like Amazon Prime, if I go onto a different website and they don't offer free or very inexpensive fast shipping, I'm so much less likely to buy from them. And that's that's totally an unfair standard to hold any other website to. But because I get that convenience on Amazon, it's what I've become accustomed to. I, I really can't help feel any other way. But you've you've said that you will still purchase things at retail stores if they are um, somewhat competitive with Amazon, right? I like will. you've said on a couple of, on a couple of occasions, you've purchased things from Best Buy. I have. Yeah. You know, actually, funny story. I just just today looked into buying those Bluetooth headphones from Best Buy that you had re- recommended to me. Mm-hmm. They were like thirty five dollars more expensive from Best Buy. Hmm. Because when I bought them, they were on sale at Best Buy for the exact same price as Amazon. Yeah, well, interesting. They're, they're not they back up to 160. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Um, I mean, I just I've been lazy and haven't ordered them from Amazon, so it's my own fault. But, um, yeah, that's that's a really interesting problem. I like. I don't. It, yeah, and I think the bigger problem. For, <sighs> it gets. It gets. It gets. It's really complex. Like you know, the examples that you we started with were kind of these companies where just as a whole. Like they're just they're not viable and they're being propped up by a bunch of fake money. But like in the well, case of real money, well, okay, I well that's a different discussion. Um, it, it, Amazon's a, a hard case because yeah, you know the shipping piece is obviously not viable and they lose money hand over fist. But as a company, Amazon is largely break even. Like quarter to quarter, they'll have losses, but. In the grand scheme of things, like they're they're pretty close to breaking even. So, not not this year, but well, but again, I mean, there's vari- variability, but like over their lifetime, like roughly break even, maybe a little little negative. But so it's it's not as if Amazon is just this total like disaster of a business that's just being you know propped up. Like they're not. Um, so that it, it, it's it's a tougher case. It, it definitely is. Again, my, my my issue is with all, especially like, again, we're like at ground zero for this kind of thing, where we see every little ridiculous company that is trying to fix some minor annoyance in upper middle class people's lives. What was that company that you sent me that they like delivered quarters to you? Uh, <laughs> they they are out of business already. Oh, okay. uh, it was uh, Washboard.co. That's un- unreal. It's because um, Stripe, who is a uh, online payment processor, said that no, it's it's technically not legal to resell U.S. currency, so we're not going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, go figure. Who would have thought? Yeah. 
And then I, I do like the uh, spirit in which they took how much everybody fucking hated their idea. What what did they do? No, just on their website, they listed like every like bad bit of press that they got, oh. including Daring Fireball. Hey, that's right. Yeah, uh, we get we got to get our Daring Fireball mention in here. The um, I, I like yeah. what I like what he wrote. If today being National Martini Day hasn't driven you to pour out a stiff drink yet, this will. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Gruber. Yeah. Or uh, Groobs, as you say. Yes, sir. Groob, mm-hmm. Groobs and sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Oh, what else? I had a couple of stray things. Do you have anything else? I think that that was nice. Like I said, I think that was the last big one. You want you got a couple small things you want to wrap up on here? Well, I think this this will be the last one we'll talk about. So um, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week where it looks like um, uh, Twitter's making a lot of user growth recently, but a lot of that's coming on platforms where they can't serve ads. So nearly 40 million active users on Twitter do not use its own application or website. Of which I think you and I are are two of those people. Well, actually, whenever I'm in front of my Mac, I do just go to the website. I never, I never do that because my because well, you don't have a computer, or like you don't you it like you have a Mac Mini, which you don't ever really like compute on, correct? Well, but I'm but I'm when I'm at work and I'm in front of my work laptop, I always use Twitter on my phone because there isn't a great way to sync Twitter on my phone to Twitter on the web. Are there really any Windows Twitter clients? I, th- I think there are some. I-, I looked into doing this a while ago, and it just was a big mess. And so I'm like, oh, I'll just look at Twitter on my phone, whatever. Gotcha. But really, so so my my, I don't think that this is really that interesting. But I think the fact that the number is that large should make people like us a little bit nervous. Like I think you'll remember a couple of years ago where um, – Twitter started cracking down on what people using the API could access and how many tokens you could have for an application. And there was there were fears that Tweetbot wouldn't actually work anymore until they found like a workaround inside iOS's authentication. So how much longer do you think now that Twitter is a for-profit public company that does carry very much about monetizing its user base, how much longer do you think applications like Tweetbot will be around? Since it's no longer really the insignificant number that we thought it was, yeah, I I, I think I think it's a great question, um, and I, I think it's I think it's a very unique case because Twitter isn't on the scale like something like Facebook, where ev- everyday people use it. I mean, everybody uses Facebook, so eh, inclu- they're, inclu- they're, they're, it's a, it's forty percent of the scale. Well, okay. But I think Twitter in particular, what I'm trying to get at, has a very sort of tech-oriented – right, I hate to use something like that. But like an, an audience which I guess is more vocal about this kind of stuff. So like if if Twitter were to pull the plug on all these third-party apps and say, hey, everybody, you have to use our app now – I'm just not really sure Twitter has a diverse enough they do user base where so, there wouldn't be like I don't really think the people I think the people who care about that would sort of vocalize their disdain to the point where that would become the headline. I don't think it would. I th- I think in, again, you and I follow similar people 
who are more technology minded. There are so many regular people on Twitter that are, are, don't are there, give a shit. Are, are there though? Like there I are. Here's I honestly, the thing, like I, I honestly, I honestly have maybe. Oh man, I, I maybe have two friends who use Twitter. Like nobody I know uses Twitter. But you have a lot of nerd friends, so that means a lot of nerds just don't care. Well, but I, I mean, I, I have you know, I, I don't have a lot of friends, but I have friends who come from different backgrounds. No, what I'm saying is you have you have nerd you have, you have nerd friends and you have uh like more uh, kind of like everyday people who like who aren't obsessed with technology. And Twitter isn't big with them either. So that's okay, but you have a lot of people who are spending most of their day like tweeting at Justin Bieber and that kind of stuff. And then you have people like us who will follow like developers and and like people we we enjoy and respect and who write cool stuff. But I really don't think that we make up the majority. Like if we made up the majority, that whole app.net thing would have uh, would have taken off. Well, that's a, that's a fair point. So really, I, I don't I, like. I think they could pull the plug, and I think most of us would would just switch over to the Twitter application and be like, "Ah, oh, this sucks," and would be over in a week. I would be super disappointed in that because I really enjoy the flexibility that Tweetbot gives me. But I don't know. This just makes me a little bit nervous because this seems like it's coming to the point where they're worried about increasing the monetization per user to levels of like where Facebook is where Facebook is making like $2 a month on every user where Twitter's making like a dollar and four cents. There's a big gap that investors will demand. They kind of close and Tweetbot might come at that expense. I don't know. I, 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 I think, yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised at all if any day Twitter came out and was like, Hey, third party apps, they're done. I think it'd be a, it'd be a, it would be a difficult transition, but I wouldn't. But you're I wouldn't you're not be surprised if they it? did it. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. You're right. And do you think people who are more principled or like, do do you think like your your John Gruber's and stuff? Do you think they 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 would like complain for a week, but they would keep using it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. I, I think. I mean, somebody like Gruber is a tough example, just because I think he's publicly said that a huge percentage of people follow daring fireball through either rss or just through his twitter feed so he he for his for his livelihood couldn't really get away from twitter but um i think yeah i think a lot of people would be um it would be hard for them to get completely away from twitter really no matter what no matter what app they had to use now twitter's twitter's an interesting case i i with i don't know i I just it's hard to see what their what their path forward is financially does twitter add uh value to your life oh big time yeah big time like you you would say you spend a a not insignificant amount of time per day on it correct not at all it's it's by far and away my the number one used app on my phone it's there's not even really a close second When it started out and when I signed up, I would I I don't I don't think I would have envisioned using it the way I do today. Because yeah, for you I it's agree. Well, I mean it's it's different for me because you still use RSS, but Twitter for me is is kind of RSS. Right. I don't know. It's an interesting communication platform. I actually was just telling uh someone this at work the other day. I think nine out of ten big stories now i see first on twitter it's very rare that i come across like a you know big breaking news item that i don't see first on twitter yeah 
And it's, it's a really great way just to keep up with things. So if you follow, uh, I don't follow a ton of people, right? Like I just follow sort of like a, a select number of people. If you find sort of that good group, you can keep up with things pretty well. And Twitter is amazing in the sense that you only see what you want to see. Right. The unfollow button's right over there. Oh, I lo- love the mute button. <laughs> love the mute button. Again, it's just so much easier to unfollow Merlin. You know, I, I just, oh, I, I just, um, Merlin free for like three months. It's great. I, I just realized this the other day that I don't know if this is a standard feature in all Twitter applications, but in Tweetbot, you can disable retweets for a particular person you follow. So if you enjoy what a person posts, but you don't enjoy what they retweet, you can disable that, mm-hmm. which is very, very useful. Yeah. And you can do it on the website too. Yeah. It's very nice. Twitter's actually really flexible that way. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think they have to be, right? Because I think the really the whole value in Twitter is what we just said, where if you really need to, you know, as you like to say, curate the content to the point where you're just seeing what you want to see. <laughs> Not sure I said that. Do you think that level of specificity and complexity is what drives away normal people? <sighs> Twitter's a really hard thing to explain to people. I think un- until... Until you put a timeline in front of them that already has, you know, 20 people that they'd be interested in following, until they can actually see that for themselves, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to just explain some Twitter to somebody. They really have to see it. It's a lot like the Matrix in that way. You haven't even even seen the Matrix, have you? I think I've seen half of it. That's such a shame. Is that the one with the bus that can't slow down? Oh, God. Ah, this is masterful trolling. All right. Ugh, Good job, me. J- just the worst. Uh, I, I, do, I think I've seen most of the first movie, but I should, I should probably watch it, uh, watch the last two and judge it by that, right? Ugh, no. All right. Um, any, any sports news? The Giants have been doing okay recently. We've gone almost three, well, we've gone almost three full episodes now without talking about sports. That's weird. In the, in the private beta period, it was a lot of sports talk. <laughs> during the private beta period the giants knew how to win um they did win today they did so i don't know they've been doing pretty well i uh, like the season's uh, probably still a gigantic bust but they've been keeping it closer which is nice well i mean they're only they're only a couple games out yeah but the dodgers are playing much better baseball than we are so yeah sometimes we hey. just yeah they just beat the Angels again today, which is Ooh, nice. No, take, take not, that, take that, Mister Trout, Mister Moneybags. Well, he deserves it though. He's phenomenal. He's the best player right now. Best player in baseball. Is that objective or subjective? Uh, well, of course, technically, it's you know, I mean, subjective. It, but like, what, what's what is his key stat right now? There's there's this metric in baseball. It's called like WAR. You heard about this? It's like no. It's one of these advanced metrics where it's like a, I think it's like a measurement of like how many games your team wins because of you or something. Something like it's probably more complicated than that. But he has like the highest WAR or whatever. <laughs> I don't. Baseball's weird with the stats now. They've it's gotten very complicated. I'm just looking forward to for to basketball coming back. Summer is sort of a, a tough time for sports. I am not envying that at all. And football's almost back too. 
Okay, in that in that sense, I cannot wait for ba- uh, for basketball to be back. <laughs> and also, just to clarify, this show is going to be a football free zone. I cannot promise that. I can somewhat guarantee it. <laughs> like football, again, we we've talked a lot, but it's it's not it's not terribly interesting, and the, a lot of the stuff that's happened in the off season makes me even want to watch and care about it less. Well, the yeah, the NFL off seasons. Ugh. Yeah, it's not. I'm it's talking not, about player conduct off the field. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the NFL, yeah, never really has great off seasons. Yeah. So it's wins above replacement. Yeah. Commonly that, abbreviated what... to war is a non-standard sabermetric baseball statistic developed to sum up the extent of a player's total contribution to their team. Yeah, that was on the right track. The war value recorded for a player is claimed to reflect the number of additional wins their team has amassed relative to the number of expected team wins if that player was substituted by a replacement level player. Oh, I I had it exactly right. Way to go. Good for me. Nice job. All right. With that, do you want to wrap it up? I I think that's an excellent place to wrap it up. Tremendous.